So hey guys, we're back and we have another one for you. Um, today we got a great guest on the phone. I think you're going to love his story and you're going to love what he does for a living and he's got a great job. And I don't, I don't think it's a job. I think it's a labor of love and I can't wait to share his story today. We have Brian, Brian Downs on the phone and if you don't know Brian, by the end of the 55 minutes, you're going to know Brian really well. Before we get to Brian... Uh, we want to thank our friends at the Tombstone Epitaph, one of Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Uh, you can get delivered right to your door for 60 bucks for three years. Uh, it's a great paper. It's just crammed full of history. Mark and Eric are doing a great job. And, of course, Bob Bozbell shows up in every issue with some artwork and stories. If you want to find more about the Epitaph, go to Tombstone Epitaph. Dot com, And I want to thank my second family over at the Wild West History Association. You can find out about them. <clears throat> Excuse me, got a frog in my throat. At wildwesthistory.org. Uh, if you're looking for true research history and being a part of a group that wants true research history, not fluff and made up stuff, and I think this happened and this could have happened, but true research history, and you wanna be a part of a group that shares your passion for that, I urge you to join the Wild West History Association. Now, we just had Roundup in San Antonio, Texas. Well, 2024 Roundup is gonna be at Fort Smith, Arkansas, and we're gonna be showing up in Fort Smith. We're gonna to go to the fort itself. We've got a bunch of excursions planned, not excursions, but field trips and day trips to go see the fort and history. And there's a new museum that opened up. I can't wait to see. I think it's the U.S. Marshall Museum. I cannot wait. And that's in Fort Smith, Arkansas. But if you want to be a part of it, go to Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. So Brian showed up in a magazine and he did this interview and in my head, I was like, man, there's got to be a bigger story. And Brian is the director for the John Wayne Museum. And what is it? John Wayne Museum and, and Family Home? John Wayne Birthplace and Museum. There you go. John Wayne Birthplace and Museum. And the museum is located in Winterset, Iowa. Now, the reason I want to focus on the Winterset is, is it's only 40 minutes from Des Moines, Iowa. So they have a beautiful airport in Des Moines, and it's super easy to get out. Southwest flies, almost all the carriers fly in and out of Des Moines, so there should be no excuse. Des Moines is super easy to get to. Uh, you fly in, like you say, if I'm a Southwest person, so I know Southwest flies to Des Moines, you get a rental car, you go down, and I, and you should stay in Winterset because Winterset's got a ton of history. Not only is the museum there and that birthplace for John Wayne, it's also the location for the movie Bridges of Madison County, and it's a very historic town. There's just so much to see. So make sure that you put Winterson on your travel plans and make it a destination. Just don't go make it a place to go in, out, and leave, but make a destination of it. Stay in the local hotel, you know, meet the people there, spend a bunch of time at John Wayne Museum. Go check out the, the bridges of Madison County stuff. There's just a lot to see. So I was telling you guys, I saw his article, I think it was in Truist Magazine, and I thought, you know what, there's more to the story. Like, how did Brian... How did Brian get linked to the John Wayne family? Because he's not a family member. You're not a family member, right? I am not. Okay. And how did he get linked to the family to and 
And how did he turn this dream? Because it was really crazy. I was I was reading a backside article about it where people were showing up to Winterset to see John Wayne's home and people were just walking in the door when the house was owned and lived in by a private family. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that happened for a number of years. So how did you, this guy, you're not from Winterset, right? I'm from Chicago. How did you... Another become, little town in the Midwest. A little a little town, just a little, barely there. Um, how did you get involved with John Wayne? Tell us your story. Like, you were a reporter. How did you get in the newspaper? How did you get involved with John Wayne? Like, tell us that story. Well, Mike, it's a story that takes hours to tell, but we're not going to do that, so I'll tell you the short version. Um, like most boys my age, I was uh, I was infatuated with John Wayne. I grew up when he was on the big screen uh, in movie theaters, and uh, I first saw him with my father. He was always a father or a grandfather. My father took me to see the horse soldiers um, in suburban Chicago in a theater, and I was, I was so impressed with John Wayne's presence on the screen. And we had an army captain live down the street and um, uh, based at Fort Sheridan, Illinois. And he reminded me so much of John Wayne. And uh, I figured I just so I felt like I knew him already. And anybody that sees him in the movies really does know him uh, pretty darn well because he was, he was just so authentic. So uh, about um, 19, I was 19 years old, and I went to work for the Chicago Tribune in downtown Chicago in a newspaper. And um, one day I took a notion to uh, write a letter to John Wayne on Tribune letterhead and ask him if he would agree to see me for an interview. And about six weeks later, I was shocked to get a reply from him. He said, absolutely. He said, I'm, I'm tied up for next several weeks, but um, we'll, we'll set a date. Uh, we did set the date, and um, I expected it to be a press conference at a studio or something to promote a movie, and, and it was nothing like that. He um, invited me to his home, and we spent the best part of the day, I believe it was uh, May, 17 and 19, May 18, 1977. And um, at first, it was extremely intimidating, only for about five minutes, because the the awe of, of sitting with the biggest movie star in the world melted so fast, and that was thanks entirely to, uh, to his good nature. He was just the most common fellow you could ever expect to meet. We can discussed you... every... Sorry? I was thinking, can I get you to speak up a little bit? Sure. It was, um, we discussed everything under the sun. Is that better? Yeah, great. Okay. We discussed everything under the sun. People he worked with, his favorite actors and actresses. Uh, we discussed President Nixon, who at the time was living down the road in San Clemente, California. Um, we just had a, um, just a, a nice rambling conversation. Did, at a certain point. I was going to ask you, did, when you, when you went to his home and you knocked on the door, I would assume he wasn't the one that answered it. Somebody else. Well, that, that's kind of funny because I knocked on the front door. There was no answer, so I double checked the address and I figured, well, this isn't right. So I found a side entrance and walked into his house through the kitchen. Oh. And he had a, uh, a woman working cooking for him. Uh, I think he, she was a, a full time cook at his, at his home, and she directed me to the patio. And I sat out there for just a couple minutes, and um, he just he just walked out after that to greet me. He had some other business in the house at that moment. 
when he cares, I got to ask you before you continue. When he came out and you saw him, were you like, because I know I'd have been like, holy crap, that's John Wayne. Well, it was funny. I was sitting at a patio chair overlooking uh, Newport Harbor, right. and I felt someone coming out of the house, but I didn't actually hear them, and he didn't speak. He just kind of stepped out because I was speaking to uh, one of his assistants at that time, and I felt him more than heard him or saw him. And I turned around, or I turned around in my seat and looked up, and I just my eyes kept going toward the sky. He was just so impressively large, and. Um, so naturally, I jumped out of my seat, introduced myself, and um, we just, um, it was just the most natural thing in the world. And say the, the shock and awe, as they say, melted so fast, and that, that kind of amazed me. Was, and, um, well, did you only interview him once? Or? One time in person, only once at his home, then we did a couple of projects um, over the telephone uh, in the following months. Um, I asked him to write an article on the Panama Canal treaties, which he was in favor of. Um, then we did a little piece on um, mandatory retirement. He was against mandatory retirement. He thought people should work as long as they're healthy and productive. Mm. Um, and he'd probably speaking for himself because he had no intentions of retiring. He was just about 70 years old at that time with, with no thoughts of retiring. But we just had a, a just had a fantastic time. And, and I, Credit his naturalness for that. You're just the most natural guy in the world. And curious, like all wise people I've ever met in my life are curious people. And he asked me as many questions about my life as, um, as uh, I did about his career. So it's just that uh, we had a very nice lunch in the, uh, in the house um, at lunchtime. And then it was back to the patio. And then, of course, we took loads of pictures. He was very patient with that. And uh, we just, um, I, I just have to say we hit it off. And I won't call us friends because we didn't have time, but we absolutely were friendly. Um, he'd always answer the phone when I called him. He always answered uh, anytime I'd write him a letter, uh, he would reply, always. Um, of course, I had a lot of friends who wanted to autograph pictures, and he complied with those, too many. Um, but he just did it because he felt his public was, was the most important aspect of his success. You know, he always he always recognized that, and things are so different now in Hollywood. But in the culture, he grew up in a culture where you you treat the fans right, and you certainly cooperate with people who are going to help promote you, which I was doing. So, but, it, but great, you said a that great adventure. But you said that you weren't friends, yet he did these things for you. As the years went by, did you stay in contact? With each well, other? I, I want to be modest when I say that. I just want to be modest and I not make more of it than it is. And um, but certainly friendly, and it could have developed into a great friendship. But um, it wasn't long after that that his health began to fail. And it was just uh, the following year that he first had his heart troubles, and then uh, the cancer returned. So there just wasn't the opportunity. Right. But we did work together on, on a couple of articles, and you know, I say he was accessible always accessible to me and always very warm and respectful. So, so as far as a, yes. So if you're wondering who we're talking to, um, I really want to make sure that people understand that this is Brian Down. He's the director. I'm going to say this again wrong. Director of the John Wayne Museum and Birthplace. John Wayne uh, Birthplace and Museum. Birthplace and Museum. I got to write that down. Mm -hmm. That's all right. Director of Birthplace 
I should have probably written it down in a pre-inter. That's right. We are unique because this is where John Lennon was born, so birthplace is very important. And if you want to find out about him, not about Brian, but the, the museum, go to johnwaynebirthplace.museum. JohnWayneBirthplace.museum. The reason I want you to go to it is because there's a lot there, and you have um, you have your operating hours, you have the cost of admission. There is a bunch of information there because you don't want to just show up dry. I'm going to Winterset, and you show up at four o'clock and they're closed, or they close in thirty minutes or whatever. So make sure that you go to JohnWayneBirthplace.museum and get to the website and check it out. There's a ton of information there. When you did the article, and John's passes away, was there a period of time where you doing something else, or what happened that brought you to Winterset, Winterset, and you became the the director of this huge museum because it's it's over six thousand square feet. Is it bigger than that now? 10,400 10, square feet we just expanded last year. Holy cow. So 10,000 plus square feet of all memorabilia, and we're going to talk about that. Um, it's huge. It's a huge museum. Um, Especially for a town our size. That's amazing. Well, after he passed away, and then your life continued on, did, were you doing something else? Were you still as a reporter for the Chicago paper? Or how did you end up in Winterset and then obviously becoming the director? There had to have been a passion there that kept you moving forward. Well, like like the whole world, I was heartbroken when John Wayne died. We just didn't believe something like that could happen to some such a powerful figure. And uh, I, I was saddened, but I was grateful for the opportunities that we had together and the projects that we work on together. And then uh, out of the blue, I wrote a letter. I'd never been to Winterset at all at that point, but, um, oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, in the 1990s, I started doing a lot of uh, Western travel writing. I wrote articles on Buffalo Bill and Jesse James and Geronimo and Will Rogers, and if they were famous, I wrote about them and, and traveled to their sites, but I never made it to Winterset, Iowa, because I was always on my way to someplace else. But in 2007, the community decided to celebrate the 100th anniversary of John Wayne's birth. Uh, he was born in, on May 26, 1907. So this is something I really wanted to be a part of. And just for fun, I had a, a very uh, exciting hobby. I ran an old-time Buffalo Bill-style Wild West show uh, that performed around the Midwest. We'd do fairs and, um, and exhibitions in the summertime. And I thought this would be great thing to offer to Winterset for John Wayne Centennial and um, introduced myself to the uh, birthplace board and um, they said yes by all means and um, we did three performances on, on that birthday weekend and should have been the end of the story but it was um, several weeks later I had a call from one of the directors saying that they needed a full-time executive director at the museum to lead the fundraising efforts for a museum because up to that point it had been only just the, the small house where Duke was born. And so um, I came out, was interviewed, came out for a second interview, and um, I was I was ready for a move. Always loved small town America, and this is America as it gets. And so after a lot of thought and discussions with family, I decided to uh, just move to Winterset and take on a brand new challenge. That's the short story. 
it was a matter of reaching out to fans literally around the world and telling them of our plans for a permanent museum to accompany the house. And um, it was uh, <laughs> 15 short years later, here we are. Uh, we've just finished our second expansion, and um, it, it just, uh, it's been a tremendous success. But strictly thanks to the fans who believed in the project. But there's a story. But there's a story in between because I read, like I said earlier, where people were just walking up. A private family owned the house, and people were walking up and just walking in the door and going, "I want to see it." And they realized, and correct me if I'm wrong, they realized that they needed to sell the house to the city. Correct. And they sold it, but then there was the city had this internal discussion that said we need to offer more. We need to offer more. We just can't have the house. We need this museum, this show place to really put Winterset on the map because people were coming from all over the all over the world to see John Wayne's home. How did that go about? Even though, I mean, for you, your director, was it a fundraising effort? Did they bond initiatives? Like, how did that go about? It was a huge fundraising effort. It was grassroots. Uh, we started out modestly uh, selling little bricks people's name on them that we uh, encircled the uh, birthplace home with, and we worked on larger grants. Um, We developed a newsletter that we sent to just about everybody uh, that we knew, and it was constant reaching out to new people because uh, our our original donors were getting kind of tapped out, so we just started reaching out for new ones. And and, uh, so we, um, it's it's just, a lot of uh, shoe leather, leg work, um, that kind of thing. It's just uh, constant, constant, ceaseless fundraising. And that's how it happened. At what point did you or did you not ever reach out to the family and say, help? We're doing well, let this. Let me tell you what. The family was on board early. They gave us, on John Wayne's birthday, they gave us a, um, a seven-and-a-half-foot-tall bronze statue of John Wayne, which was unveiled. Um, all the family members have been there. Um, Aisha Wayne is on our board of directors. That would be uh, one of Duke's children. Um, so we are very, very happy with the help oh, and endorsement cool. from uh, the Wayne family. So the, the museum is a go. We've got funding, we've got money, we've got a site picked out, we've got the construction going on, and then did you have a warehouse full of memorabilia, or did once the construction got going, like the town say, holy crap, we're really going through with this, we need to start filling it? How... Does someone like you and your volunteer team and docents and stuff and and paid whoever they are, how do you fill a museum with John Wayne stuff? Well, that's a pretty easy story and a great question. We have our current president of board of directors, a fellow named Joe Zuxworth, who was a, uh, a John Wayne collector in Pennsylvania. And um, he had a, his home was just full to the brim of John Wayne memorabilia that he'd been collecting for 40 years. So about 90% of what's in our collection right now, certainly everything in the glass cases, was a gift from him, which he presented to us um, at the uh, opening of our museum in 2015, the original opening. And um, that collection included uh, movie wardrobe, uh, artworks, including uh, beautiful bronze sculptures, uh, movie 
movie posters, um, and just uh, contracts, um, artworks, just you name it. It just covered just about everything. Uh, movie mugs. John Lane used to have movie mugs crafted. Every time he did a picture, he'd give a, a souvenir coffee mug to the uh, cast and crew. Uh, we have a big selection of those, and it's just um, it's strictly uh, his, his, um, his devotedness to collecting. He was just um, he was a pit bull when it came to collecting. So uh, perhaps the largest private collection of John Wayne um, memorabilia anywhere, and that and it, and it he continues to give to us um, every. Uh, for instance, right now for a membership drive, he had a shirt of John Wayne Moore in the movie The Cowboys. And so that's going to be a prize to anybody who becomes a new member of our museum. Um, so that's something we're going to have a drawing for on uh, November 1st. And uh, how, you know, that sort of thing. And how much is is, is, a, new, is a membership? Uh, $55. $55. Bucks. And a chance to win that. So $55. Bucks. Now, if you're interested in joining, I would assume you would go to John Wayne Birthplace dot museum, correct? That is correct, yeah. And then there's a little tab on the website that says memberships. Do you, though, as you're building your, I don't want to say antiquities because it's not really that, but as you're building your amount of stuff that you have, I would assume maybe, and it is a broad assumption, that some of the stuff was not truthful or wasn't real memorabilia. Um, we are so careful with that. Of course, there's the manufactured, uh, I'll respectfully call them souvenir items, uh, which are part of the story as well, but those were manufactured uh, strictly to make money. Um, but I'll give you a good example. We have uh, in our uh, collection uh, one of John Wayne's station wagons. It's a 1972 Pontiac Grand Safari, and which Wayne uh, had customized. He had the roof raised six inches to accommodate his size. Mm. It's not a movie star car by any stretch, but it's a um, but it's a big, comfortable car that's easily proven that he owned the car. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. So there's there's you know there's his cars have a serial number, so it was his car. Um, the Marino Hara family had the horse cart from the movie The Quiet Man, and um, if they they're not unusual in Ireland at the time, but uh, we matched this with uh, enlargements from Blu-ray version of the movie, matched it to our photographs, and perfect match, and it came from the Moreno Hera collection. So um, there's I, someone would have an awful time determining that anything in our collection was not real. And if they, if they were ever able to do that, then we would acknowledge it, but that's not happened. And we don't expect it to. So is it surprising then sometimes when somebody comes forward and says, I've got this piece and you look at it and you're like, Ooh, not here, but we have turned down items or, or items with no uh, documentation whatsoever. If we can't document it, at least with photographs or um, a certificate from the seller, uh, given the background on that, we, we've turned things down before, you know, you can't just say, here's an old saddle that John Wayne wore. That's, that's not enough take up space in our exhibit. Is so, most, so much depends on the integrity of the seller, or the donor, I should say. Is most of purchased. it donated, or is a yeah, lot of it that you have to go out and purchase? No, we've purchased almost nothing. Um, the cool. only thing that comes to mind is a cannon that was used in the Alamo, that the um, Alamo Village uh, movie set was selling, um, and there were 40 of them, so it's not that unique, but it was from the movie. Because uh, we, we know where it came from. Hmm. 
No, we are we are very careful. We don't want to present something unless we know for certain. But you also have something that's that's John Wayne related, but in a way it's not. And that is, you've got a movie theater, and you actually get to sit in the seats in the Grauman Chinese Theater. Can you tell us that story? Yep, and that was just sheer luck. Um, as we were developing the museum and planning on the furnishings for it, uh, it came up. It be determined that we needed theater seats, and what, how are we going to buy these without going um, top of the line? And um, you know, and uh, when you're talking about a, a movie star from another era, uh, it's okay to have seats from another era. So just sheer luck that they were looking for the movie theater seats is that the Grauman Chinese Theater was selling refurbished seats because of a redesign in the theater. So um, we purchased those seats totally refurbished for um, new cushions, I should say, because it's original hardware. We purchased uh, two dozen of those seats for $250 a piece, and then we sold them to fans for $500, and they had their name on the back of the chair with a little brass plaque. So little things like that, you just have to be clever. It's no talent to spend money. It's uh, saving money is where the talent comes in. Is there a piece out there that you've had your eye on for years and you just can't get? Well, we kind of gave up in um, Ridgeway, Colorado, where True Grit was filmed. Um, they have the old jail wagon from True Grit, and it's very big. It's really nothing but a, a farm wagon that was fashioned with some iron bars over the cover. So it's not really a historic wagon, but it's a historic movie wagon. We thought that would be nice in our museum, and I, we started some discussions there, and they kind of just laughed at us, you know, after a certain point, so we're not giving this up because we don't have a lot, and this is a major piece. Um, we would like um, original movie guns. We have lots of firearms in the museum, but they're commemorative pieces. Um, nothing we can say was actually used in a movie. And, those pieces are kind of elusive, and they're very expensive. But, but we can't say we have a cannon from the Alamo, so that's a firearm. Okay. We're talking to Brian yeah, sure. Down. We're talking to Brian Downs. He is the director of the birth John Wayne Birthplace and Museum. If you want to find out more about the museum and Winterset, Iowa, you can go to John Wayne Birthplace dot museum not dot com dot museum so make sure you follow that through but as you type if you type in the word john wayne museum winter set all this stuff will come up and it makes it super easy for you to plan your travel there because you're going to want to go now for me i have not been but i do business in des moines so i'm pretty sure 2024 mike is going to be at the museum because i want to see it that car i saw the car in the picture and i saw some of the photos uh, from your website, and I'm like, I, I got to go. Um, so we talked about the, the stuff. Is there is there a, a basement where you've got such an overflow that you don't have the room for it and it's stuff is going in there? And if there is, or you do have an overflow, do you rotate stuff in and out to keep the museum fresh? Or is pretty much the fact that all of this stuff is so amazing, it stays as is? Well, we constantly rotate, but also there's a few pieces. For instance, the automobile. We're not going to do anything with that. Um, as it is what it is. It's just a huge piece, and we're not going to put it in storage because it's, it's a, one of the items that people look forward to seeing. 
original building opened in 2015, and then um, last year we um, opened the expansion. And it's if anybody saw the first museum, they're going to see a whole new museum now because there's been a lot of rearrangement. And of course, I say the the movie theater. We have a we have a great little film in there with uh, clips of uh, highlights from John Wayne's uh, greatest screen moments. And um, but but constantly new pieces. We just updated a donor board, which is very lavish now. Instead of just having little panels, now we have a um, a, a donor board that actually moved with scrolling names of people who helped build the place. Um, landscaping is beautiful. The the statue out in front is our. Our showpiece right at the front door, the tall browns from the Wayne family. Uh, but there's a, but constantly we have, in fact, this year we opened up a, uh, an exhibit of, um, of clothing that John, Roy, John Wayne wore in his personal life, his, uh, his casual wear. Um, and it's pretty neat to see the styles from the 60s and 70s. And we also opened an exhibit of letters that people wrote to John Wayne, um, get well cards and birthday wishes uh, that were sent during the last weeks of his life, and those are extremely touching. Have you have a new exhibit on that? But um, there's so many, so many pieces that just um, people will absolutely realize that what they saw um, five years ago is not what they're going to see today. And every year we have we have a new exhibit. You said, okay, so this is going to bring my next question. Because you said that there's a family member that's on the board, the museum board. Aisha Wayne. Okay. Is there something, though, that you know that the family has where every time, not every time, but once a year, you get on your knees and you beg and you say, please, please, can I have that one piece? Or does the Wayne family been very obviously they've been very open and supportive of it but some things are like mm, can't give this one up well certainly we certainly would love to have the academy award but we also know that's not going to happen that cannot leave the family's hands um and uh, that's um that's a major piece that it took so many years 40 years for duke to be recognized by the academy and that that's that's a treasured piece, but that can't be transferred. That has to stay with the family, an Academy Award. Um, now, they also have, there's a, an exhibit in Fort Worth, Texas called the John Wayne Experience, and they have loads of uh, memorabilia down there as well. And it's comparable in size to our exhibits. Uh, they have pieces we don't have, and we have pieces they don't have, and there's, there's room for everybody because... I go back to Buffalo Bill Cody. He's got uh, three museums dedicated in his honor, and they're all unique and great in their own way. Right. What is what is the future of the museum? Is the future uh, to continue to grow in size and add I don't more know, to it? But we, somewhere down the road, they may decide to make a, a bigger facility, but we're plenty large now for the property that we have. My feeling on the subject, um, but I just think the thing is now a rotation of exhibits and awareness because uh, we just we've had an incredible summer here. We've just been packing them in all day, and of course we had a little setback with the uh, with the coronavirus, uh, but that's um, that seems to be behind us now as far as the traveling public goes. But um, no, we've been enjoying the great success at the museum. Wow, and, and we're just we're so grateful to our funders, the people who sacrificed, and they really did. A lot of people sacrificed, pensioners and all sending in their, faithfully sending in donations every month. That's very humbling. And I think um, I will quote John Wayne's daughter who said, 
mm-hmm. just a great, tremendous love for John Wayne. It's just not going anywhere. Um, that's a great thing to say. I was going to ask you it, it, about attendance. You know, what does a museum on average hit for attendance? We're right in the 35,000 annual range. Of course, that peaks in the summertime, and we can, it can be kind of a lonesome place when it's uh, below zero, but because um, we're, we're in the snow country. But um, people come even then. And one of my favorite stories when I moved here, there was a two young girls came from Minnesota, I'd say right around age 20, and two very sweet young ladies, and they came to town. The museum was closed because due to a blizzard. But since they drove from Minnesota, the um, Chamber of Commerce asked me if I'd open up for them, which I did. And one girl was was crying when she got inside the birthplace home. I said, well, I have to ask, you're kind of out of John Wayne's age range and um, how you're, just an emotional experience for you. How is that? And she said that, she said that the fondest memory of growing up is sitting on my father's lap watching John Wayne movies on a Saturday. And she said, my father died when I was 10, and that's something that we, we shared, and it meant a lot to me. And so that, that, that was an emotional moment for me as well, as you can imagine. Because I was going to ask you, because it does have the birthplace and the museum, and it's, it's not a Graceland, but, but I was going to ask you, do people come from all over the world, and they have, like, I'm coming like it's a... The word I'm looking for. It's um, a shrine, like um, a place where they've been wanting to come for so long that when they come and they open the door and they get out of the car, like it's surreal. Like they emotionally will break down in the parking lot, or they'll come to you and say, "This has been a dream of mine to see this since the museum opened, or to come to John Wayne's birth home." Like. You gave me something that I've been missing. It's a longing, I think, because you go. people really feel that they know John Wayne, and guess what? They really do. Because I can speak from personal experience that the man on the screen was not different from the man in his patio chair. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he, he pointed out that he was interviewed once by Merv Griffin. He said, well, Duke, you're just the same in the movies as you are in person. He goes, well, I don't shoot people. I got one last question. Yes, sir. One last. 
because you're you you've given a huge story, way longer than the interview that I read. Is there a takeaway to coming and visiting the town and seeing everything and seeing the museum? Like, is there something where you and the board and the museum staff hope that when people get in their cars and they drive away, that they have a takeaway, they have a an experience or that they have fulfilled you know, a dream to come and see the birthplace. Like, is there a takeaway that, that you and the board work towards that every person has that experience? I don't think we had to work toward it. I think it just happened. Mm-hmm. And that takeaway would be that the greatest things of America come from the heartland. And mm-hmm. I truly, I firmly believe that. You know, that the, the greatest entertainer, film personality in the history of Hollywood came from a tiny little town with uh, no aspirations of anything of the sort when he, when he, when he spent his early years here. Um, he didn't have that aspiration when he first moved to California. It was survival, like a lot of people did in that era. Everybody went to California. That was the dream. But the dream is that the American dream is born in places like Winterset, Iowa. Well, me, I think that's a very powerful message takeaway um, theme, um, but it just it says itself. We don't really have to drive that home because anybody can see it when they come here, and they do. They walk around. We, we know who lives here and who doesn't. Pay by the people, <laughs> the, the the natives, people who live here full time, go about their business. The uh, the visitors are just their mouths are kind of open and their their eyes are all over the place. Just a, a central thing like a, like a, a gorgeous courthouse nearly 150 years old. Well, that's, it's, it's breathtaking, and it's all real. It's all authentic. Well, and, um, it, America is alive and well, if you know where to look. It sure is, and I go a lot of places. I go a lot, because not only is Des Moines close to Winterset, but it's also close to Pella, Iowa, where you can go see the boyhood home of Wyatt Earp. Um, yes, correct. And I think Monmouth, is the birthplace, is also in Iowa. Um about two and a half hours. That's Illinois. Oh, it's That's Illinois. just across the river. Yeah, but it's about two and a half hours from Des Moines. So it's, it's, it's I would an, say yes. That's correct. A, it's an easy trip by day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are we are talking to Brian Downs. He is the director of the John Wade Birthplace and Museum. If you want to find out more information about the museum, please. Uh, it's a great website. I've been on it many times. In the last week, it's John Wayne Birthplace dot museum. No dot com. Don't add that. Uh, or you can search in your search uh, search engine John Wayne Birthplace Iowa, and all this stuff will come up. There's a ton of reading in there, and go to look at some of the other multiple websites because um, there's a lot of information there. But the first one you're going to want to hit is the John Wayne Birthplace dot museum. Check that one out. Get the hours, get the costs. Um, the hours do change in the wintertime. Uh, and, uh, and in the summertime, they're open a little longer. But please, you know, check them out. Is there anything that you want to add before we go? Well, there's so much. Uh, you, you gave a good uh, plug to the Des Moines Airport. That's a fantastic airport. But the majority of our folks drive here. And we are at the intersection of Interstates 80 and 35, very near the intersection. And you cannot drive from New York to San Francisco without passing by here or from almost Canada to Mexico.
Mexico you have to pass by here. So it's, we're kind of impossible to miss. Mm-hmm. And everything's well posted. And say just a, a nice, pleasant 30-minute drive from Des Moines, Iowa. So we're, we're smack in the middle of the country. Uh, you heard and uh, every year we, we do a, an annual event on John Wayne's birthday. Every year we have a, a John Wayne birthday celebration. Uh, it's usually Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we have music and we have celebrities. We have uh, uh, movies. Um, in 2015, we had a visit from uh, Maureen O'Hara. She came here and spent uh, four days and was in no hurry to leave. And I think that and the centennial were our the best attended of our events, but we do it every year and we get, we get all oh, roughly 500 people in town for that weekend. And most of them come back year after year. So, so we're around, we have the right formula. Well, you heard it right there from Brian. Again, this is Brian Downs, um, director of the John Wayne birthplace museum. Again, please, please go to the website at johnwaynebirthplace.museum and make it your travel plans because you're going to want to go to this area because it is gorgeous. It's beyond crazy. It's a really beautiful place. Uh, I appreciate you, Brian, coming on. I appreciate you a bunch. Um, Also, my friends over at Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. I appreciate them. And, of course, my second family at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. Until next time, safe travels. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. A couple things, too. Um, I know I always I always forget this, and I'm still thinking about John Wayne. Um, I sat and watched a little. I, I pulled up the John Wayne piece when he was in the West, was How the West Was Won. That's one of my favorite movies, and he just God, he rocked that whole scene with Harry Morgan. So if you want it, like, that's just a crazy little scene. So YouTube, and you can YouTube a bunch of John Wayne stuff, and it's going to get you crazy, and you're like, I got to go to the birthplace. Um of course, you can find me on uh, iHeartRadio and Stitcher and Podbean. Uh, uh, iTunes just gave me a rating of education and clean, which is huge. So that means you can listen to all my podcasts and not have to worry about swear words or anything uh, racial or anything obscene. Uh, you can listen to it with your kids and your family. Uh, you can Again, you can find me there. And please give us uh, hit that subscribe button and give a rating and review. It does help me out a bunch. Um, again, thank you, Brian. Thank you, John Wayne Birthplace. And thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, we'll see you soon.